there is probably no one who has had a greater influence on our Unitarian Universalist tradition and on American culture more broadly than the Unitarian minister and essayist Ralph Waldo Emerson. Emerson is our great philosopher of, of hope and possibility. He once called himself a professor of the joyous science. Emerson's joyous science, his hope, was deeply shaped by his Unitarian faith, a faith that had swapped out Calvinism and its tragic sense of human fallenness for a theology of human agency and potential. But in 1842, Emerson's joyous science would be sorely tested. In January of that year, his darling five-year-old son, Waldo Jr., died of scarlet fever. Emerson was bereft. That very night, he scrawled a letter to his dear friend, Margaret Fuller, wondering, quote, shall I ever dare to love anything again? What a heartfelt and poignant question. Shall I ever dare to love anything again? It wasn't the first time Emerson had asked that question. A decade before his son's death, Emerson's beloved first wife, Ellen, died of tuberculosis. After her death, Emerson walked to her grave every day for a year. Even so, he couldn't quite accept that she was gone. He needed to see for himself. So one day he had her grave exhumed so he could peer into the coffin one last time. Only then could he begin to entertain the question, do I dare to love again? Have you ever asked yourself that question? Do I dare to love again? I know I have. I believe many of us have. We need only call to mind the, the many joys and sorrows lifted up each week during our prayers to be reminded of how the circumstances of our lives are always challenging us to summon the courage to love again. When a loved one dies, do I dare to love again? When a marriage or long-term relationship ends suddenly or painfully, do I dare to love again? When someone we trust has betrayed or disappointed us, when an institution we believed in lets us down, when a cause dear to our heart seems perpetually doomed to fail, do I dare to believe again? Dare to trust again? Do I dare to love again? Now our opening hymn this morning, Just As Long As I Have Breath, considers this very question. I don't know about you, but this hymn is one of my favorites in our hymnal. 
and I can never get through it without crying. <laughs> it's the last verse that always gets me. Just as long as I have breath, I must answer yes to love. Disappointment pierced me through, still I kept on loving you. Disappointment pierced me through, still I kept on loving you. That's the line that always gets my tears flowing. Tears of grief for the times when love's bitter disappointments have pierced my heart. For me, singing the verse of, that verse of the hymn is a, is a catharsis of sorts, a kind of ritual opportunity to, to mourn and release love's disappointments. In the same way, perhaps, that Emerson's daily walks to his wife's grave were for him a form of mourning and release. Allowing ourselves to truly grieve love's disappointments and, and losses, this is a critical step in being able to dare to love again. Before we can love again, we've got to tend to our broken hearts. It's funny, though, after years of singing that hymn, I've discovered that there's something else going on with my tears. That while, yes, my tears are often mingled with grief and sorrow, sometimes I find myself crying tears of gratitude and joy during that verse. Gratitude for the times when I've been able to muster the courage to love again in spite of disappointment. And even more, gratitude for the grace that has been extended to me when others continued to love me. God bless them, even after I'd disappointed them, even after I'd hurt them. Disappointment pierced me through. Still, I kept on loving you. Imagine how lonely we'd all be if our love never survived disappointment. It's a precious kind of love, this, this love that survives hurt and disappointment. It's hard won, it's resilient, it's, it's something to be cherished. But I'll be honest with you, friends, over the course of my ministry, I have met lots of folks whose capacity for love didn't survive loss or disappointment. I've often found myself listening to these folks reflect back on their lives as they approached death. Their regret was palpable. It's not as though there was one dramatic moment when they swore off love forevermore. Instead, what these folks described to me was a gradual accumulation over time of layer upon layer of self-defense, self-protection. Now, to be sure, our impulse to protect our hearts after we're hurt is, is understandable and, and often a healthy reaction. 
But when allowed to accumulate over time, our defenses can leave our hearts so well fortified that they can no longer be reached. I once saw a New Yorker cartoon that poked gentle fun at our often self-defeating attempts at self-protection. In the cartoon, a king, dressed in a robe and crown, reclines on an analyst's couch. A thought bubble shows the king imagining himself garrisoned in a well-fortified castle. In the caption below, the psychiatrist says to the king, Enemies, yes, but doesn't your moat also keep out love? Poor king. Poor us. I think it's probably a good idea for us to periodically check in with ourselves and notice when our hearts feel defended. Ask ourselves, even if those defenses once served us well, do they serve us still? In the end, I think Emerson's good friend, Henry David Thoreau, might have said it best. Thoreau once fell deeply in love with and courted a young woman named Ellen Sewell. But Sewell chose as her husband one of Thoreau's best friends instead. After this heartbreak, Thoreau considered the question, do I dare to love again? And finally came to this conclusion in his journal. He wrote, the only remedy for love is to love more. I think he's right. The only remedy for love is to love more. Dare to love again. Friends, I, I felt moved to preach this sermon this morning because I believe that this moment that we're living through, this particular moment in the life cycle of the COVID pandemic, demands that we confront this very question, do I dare to love again? Let's face it, there have been a lot of losses over this last year. Some of, some of us have lost jobs to COVID. Some have lost loved ones. We've lost precious time and cherished physical connection with the people we love most, with friends and family, with children and grandchildren. And now we're invited to return to living in a world that has been utterly transformed over these last 18 months. Transformed by pandemic. Transformed by intransigent racial injustice by an unprecedented attack on our democracy and by the ongoing threat of climate change. And after being told for so long to keep our distance from the people and the world that we love, we must now all find ways to, to re-engage, daring to, to trust again, 
to hope again, to love again. Way back at the end of the 19th century, the philosopher William James spoke words that I believe speak to this very moment. He said, we live in a world that is uncertain of being saved. And then he asked, are you willing to participate in such a world? Are you willing to love a world whose salvation is uncertain? Dare to love again. Now, friends, I want to close my sermon by sharing a story about a time when you, the good people of the First Unitarian Universalist Society of San Francisco, helped me and the people I love summon the courage to keep loving this world. In January 2020, just two months before the pandemic, the congregation that I served at that time, All Souls Church in Washington, D.C., was targeted by Christian fundamentalist protesters who shouted racist, homophobic, and misogynist slurs at us from the sidewalk outside our church. The protesters were from a church in Southern California that does this kind of thing all the time, apparently. They travel all over the country targeting people whose faith and whose identities they detest. Turns out they come all the way from California to Washington to protest a big women's march that was being held on the National Mall. And I don't know, I guess they had a little extra time before their flight back to California, so they decided to come over and hurl some hate at a diverse congregation of Unitarian Universalists. They shouted at the women in our congregation, accusing them of having abortions. It happened to be Martin Luther King Jr. Sunday, and they said that Dr. King was burning in hell and that we would burn with him if we didn't repent. Over their bullhorn, they shouted that we were a sodomite church led by a sodomite minister. That word was spit in my face dozens of times that morning. Gosh, I don't think I've been called a sodomite since like the late 90s. You know, that's, that's some old school hate. I was so proud of how our congregation met this hate with, with love. After service, we joined hands and, and we walked out the doors of the church together singing, We Shall Overcome. But I won't lie to you, my congregation and I were shaken that morning. We felt as though we, our community had been violated. We felt vulnerable. That's what hate can do to you. And here's the part where you come in. A few days later, a large package arrived at the church addressed to the entire congregation. 
I opened it up and it contained 15 pounds of Valentine's Day chocolates <laughs> and a big lighted sign that said love. And the card inside let me know that this thoughtful and unexpected gift had come from you, the good people of the First Unitarian Universalist Society of San Francisco. And then soon after the package arrived, the cards and letters started coming. Dozens of them from members of this church. One note read, To the congregation of all souls, we are shocked and horrified to hear of what you suffered last Sunday. Our hearts go out to you in empathy and love. And we stand with you on the side of love. A nine-year-old from the congregation wrote a personal note to me. Dear Rob, she said, I'm so sorry people were mean to you. I'm on your side. Keep on going. A couple of Sundays later, the All Souls congregation said thank you by sending back to you a huge Valentine's Day card signed by hundreds of the members of our congregation. But this morning, I wanted to say thank you in person. Or almost in person. <laughs> thank you for supporting me and the people I love through a difficult time. Thank you for helping restore our faith in what Abraham Lincoln called the better angels of human nature. And thank you for reminding us that we can trust in the power of kindness and love. In the end, this is what church is for, friends. Through our mutual care and solidarity, we help one another find the courage to keep faith with the world and to keep on loving it. So dare to love again. Amen.